0: Hello and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yulia Joja. I'm with the Middle East Institute and Georgetown University, and I'm joined today by...
1: Dalibor Rohacz with the American Enterprise Institute.
0: On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that have erupted along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and as always, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, um, our co-host um, Giselle Donna Lee um, will unfortunately be absent, um, but we're making up for um, for her absence with a fabulous guest um, that we have the honor of hosting today: um, Pavel Fischer, who is Senator and head of the Foreign Affairs Committee um, of the of the Czech Republic. Um, and before we get the conversation started, I'll turn to you, Dalibor, um, to introduce our conversation today.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Julia. And it's great to have you on the program, Senator. I want to start by uh, ju- just just emphasizing for the sake of our listeners that the response of the Czech Republic to Russia's aggression against Ukraine has been truly exemplary. Uh, both in terms of the military aid provided, which very early on included you know heavier pieces of artillery, tanks that were shipped to Ukraine, and also in in keeping um helping you know Europe and the West keep a very unified front when it came to sanctions and other coercive measures against um, against Russia. And it's also the case that uh really this sort of sense of horror at what Russia was doing in Ukraine, Uh, at the very least at the early stages of the invasion, cut across all major political parties, including the party of the former prime minister, um, Andrei Babish, sort of technocratic populist maverick uh, figure. Um, And my question for you to, to sort of get this conversation going is, is whether... Um, that strength of the Czech response and the degree of consensus that existed are sustainable. Um, because we've heard in recent days uh, uh, Mr Mr. Bubbish say that the Czech Republic shouldn't be leading the lists of countries that are providing Ukraine with military aid. and he seems to be sort of pivoting away from from from, from, from that earlier. Uh, much, 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 much firmer response. So, if you have, you know, a major opposition party which is trying to capitalize on what is likely to be a discontent with rising energy prices and and the sort of inconclusive nature of of the conflict, uh, you know, shouldn't we be worried about about the strength of the Czech response going forward?
2: Yes. Hello to everyone uh, from Prague. Um, I am not the spokesperson of Mr. Babiš, so I will prefer not to speak about him, uh, but about my country. And I think that this is more interesting to speak about because uh, we see that uh, from the outset of the conflict, uh, not only the government, but also the parliament, was extremely unified in accompanying the governmental response, be it on humanitarian aid or uh, weaponry and military aid. Uh, We do not usually comment what we delivered, uh, but as parliamentarians, we succeeded to have a high level of uh, uh, classified exchange with our government in order to have an outlook of what was uh, provided to Ukrainian armed forces. And we try to follow now because we see that the conflict is ongoing and the needs are still very high. Concerning the consensus, uh you have the point. I think that with the time going, the summertime coming and a very high price
0: yes, I was wondering. There's um as we were sitting um in Washington D C looking at the war, there was no denying seeing it from there that the Czech Republic has Um, outperformed itself and um, has been an undeniable supporter of of Ukraine. And as we got into the first weeks and months of this war, what looked like um, a clear unity when it comes to the Eastern Front, so to speak, the countries um, in the neighborhood of Ukraine on the western side, it um, started looking like there's different levels of support and societies are reacting in different ways beyond the ultimate um, uh, and undeniable, again, support for refugees on the civil society and the governmental side. But I'm wondering, as you're looking back um, to the last three months, to what extent um, are you surprised by um, or not surprised by the Czech reaction how steadfast it has been vis-a-vis Ukraine, and what the issues are that you're looking at um, in the months to come when it comes to that support, be it on the civil society side, be it on the consequences that we're all looking at with prices going higher as we're getting closer to the winter. I'm wondering if you can give us your read of the first three months um, of the Czech reaction to the Ukrainian um, war, or the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and looking ahead, um, what um, you're focusing on in terms of the problems that we will all be facing as we um, are um, progressing into the war and the war will likely drag on.
2: Yes, uh, if I look back to the reaction of uh, citizens in the Czech uh, Czech Republic concerning uh, the crisis in Ukraine, it was very spontaneous because uh, we always had a very high number of uh, Ukrainian uh, people working in uh, various positions in the labor market. So everyone had some contacts, many municipalities and regions have their sister uh, cities or sister region so there is a very in very dense net of cooperation and friendship with ukraine so the reaction was very spontaneous and many of my colleagues from the senate from the czech parliament uh, traveled simply to the uh, sister cities in ukraine and provided help immediately so it was something extremely natural and it was not so much organized uh, or centralized by the way the number of refugees uh, living in the czech republic is today maybe three or uh, four hundred thousands so it is by proportion as if in united states there were uh, 10 millions of uh, refugees from ukraine so it is rather high number uh, it is impacting the society because we see that uh, help provided to refugees is criticized by some of the uh, the opponents, that it is uh, extremely high or uh, generous. And we see that in the longer run, uh, we will have to assure that uh, not only there is a social dialogue with uh, people in need, be it Czech or Ukrainians uh, you know, on our soil, but also that we provide the necessary before the winter comes, as you pointed in your uh, question. And we see that from the viewpoint of uh, energy security. Our country uh, didn't really deliver on the priorities, which were, for instance, uh, set up in 2015 in the national strategy on energy security. So yes, there is a lot of to-dos, and I think that this is not only in the social uh, affair. uh, realm but uh, in many others uh, including uh, energy and economy
0: maybe i can follow up with a quick question adibore um because i'm over the last few years um maybe over a decade Um, Prague has been seen as a Russian enclave and criticized as such um, in various places um, across Europe and even across the Atlantic. And over the last few months, um, that institutionally has changed, too, as we remember, um, there was a wave of countries... um, Um, uh, sending out, um, expulsing Russian diplomats, and the Czech Republic played um, a big role in that as well. So um, I'm wondering if um, you see this also, um, if these effects of of this policy um, can be felt on the streets when it comes to now a lot of Ukrainians and and much less so um, Russians. How um, Russian business um, is uh, is seen in Prague um, right now? Um, if you can comment on that, and and I guess in a more broader regional context, it is. And maybe this is a remark to to build on. It has always been a bit unfair because we always focused on Prague as a Russian enclave. And while Prague has now um, pushed back on this, we still have a major enclave, and that is Vienna, um, where we haven't seen that many changes when it comes to um, Russian diplomats um, and and the like. Um, So can you give us a read of the Czech capital and how things are changing in this regard?
2: Yes, uh, speaking about the Russian enclave, uh, I had in my uh, uh, in front of my eyes several other capitals of Europe. Uh, uh, but uh, yes, we had a challenge in Prague as well, which is uh, represented by the uh, President of the Republic, who was always very close to Vladimir Putin. Uh, but since the disclosure of uh, the context of major blast of stockpile of ammunition uh, in our country, which was prepared uh, by Russian uh, armed forces, and there is a direct link to Salisbury in United Kingdom uh, uh, attacks, we see that there is something ongoing in Prague because uh, links which were hidden or which were only um, disclosed uh, in closed uh, dialogues between uh, uh, the community, among the community of people who were knowledgeable, were completely uh, on the spot. And uh, the Czech Republic had to expel uh, dozens of Russian diplomats. Uh, it was uh, uh, one year ago. And uh, since that time, we liberated somehow uh, not only uh, the public debate, because the disinformation campaign was extremely solid and very uh, massive, very uh, influential uh, in the Czech uh, society. So we have have here um, a situation in which, uh, fortunately enough, uh, uh, we have uh, much less uh, personnel and diplomats uh, on the Russian embassy. And uh, um, it's true that even uh, Russian businesses are today exposed uh, as uh, links to uh, the regime, which is threatening us directly or indirectly. So it is much uh, uh, different as it was one year ago.
1: I have a a quick question about um, the um, president of the... Of the Czech Republic, because M- Milos Zeman, because this strikes me as one of the most extraordinary stories related to to to, to this invasion, this this sudden reverse of somebody who uh, had been accused and for very good reasons of being a Russia's uh, being Russia's pawn and having his campaign financed through obscure sources and. And, and and surrounded by people who have deep business ties to Russia, uh, from one day to the next, he really became one of Central Eastern Europe's leading Russia hawks. I mean, re- literally reversing, reversing his, his position in a, in a in a in a in a heartbeat. Uh, do you think that change was genuine? Is this really you know this? Sort of old, fraying man who does not want to be remembered as as a Russian agent when he when he leaves office, or uh, is, is 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 there something else going on? How do you how do you explain this 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 sort of sudden sudden shift, which we haven't seen in in the case in the cases of many other uh, traditionally pro-Russian figures, such as the former president Václav Klaus, who you know, very shortly after the Russian invasion, sort of went back into his usual mode of, you know, downplaying the Russian aggression or, or, or coming up with excuses for it and so on and so forth.
2: You know, I think that it is not uh, uh, fair to speak about hawkish Zeman, because he's not hawkish. He's just trying to save his uh, face. Uh, this is a face-saving operation on behalf of Milos Zeman. And you have the right point, uh, recalling that he was one of the most vocal uh, supporters of uh, uh, Russia and of cooperation with Russia. I just recall for auditors that he was elected in 2014 in direct elections as president of the republic with the help of Luke Oil, So the company providing uh, petrol uh, oil uh, on uh, world markets with the help of Cambridge Analytica. Uh, So it was even before Donald Trump was elected. And I think that this Russian shadow is still there. And his cronies uh, who succeeded to help him in becoming president are still around him. The former head of Lukoil Czech Republic, Uh, society which was bankrupted, by the way, is still around uh, Zeman. So this is not, for me, a hawk. He's just playing a theater of shadows, trying to save his face. And uh, yes, uh, in 2014, after occupation of Crimea, he invited Ukraine to to take it into account and not to oppose uh, the Russian aggressor. And uh, he was completely out of his role of the President of the Republic, who is supposed to uh, stand by the principles of the international law and of Charter of uh, United Nations. Uh, So his disregard, uh, which was uh, entire for these principles, is uh, still ongoing, even though he, yes, uh, made several declarations in favour of uh, uh, Ukraine today. But I don't believe him, frankly speaking.
0: From Zeman's, I really like the theater of shadows. Um, we also know, though he is a specific and unique phenomenon, um, that um, that there's similar figures across Western Europe as well, some of them redeeming um, in, in public or partially redeeming, some of them not at all. If we think back to the former German Chancellor Schröder. So with, from the individual level of um, Zeman's um, policies vis-a-vis Russia to the level of the Union, this is something that um, us here on the Eastern Front keep talking about for the last three months. Um, our worry that Western unity, the way we project it um, uh, publicly, is not as um, solidified as we, we hope, and that um, the effects of the war, from prices rising to um, social cohesion being reduced, um, will, will further disunite the West, and of course that is Vladimir Putin's aim, without a Um, a completely divided West, he cannot proceed in destroying Ukraine and and finding the next um, victim. So I'm wondering from Prague, from your perspective, Senator, sitting on the Committee for Foreign Affairs as its head, how do you look at um, this Western issue? Are we in a solidified Western unity are you confident that um it will hold against Ukra- um uh Ukrainian um devastation from the russian side or do you um rather think that this is something that we are um we should be worried about even more as we're progressing into this war
2: The forthcoming weeks will be of essence because we will have not only G7 meeting but we will have a european council uh, summit and we will have also north atlantic treaty organisation summit nato will uh, reunite uh, and by the way our president will stay home most probably and he would be represented by the prime minister so i'm rather cool because uh, <laughs> there is no uh, provocation uh, as it used to be uh, in the past uh, on 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 site so Yes, concerning the unity, we will see. I think that there is a strong feeling of danger which helps to reunite the West. Uh, by the way, without this feeling and this apprehension of of conflict, uh, never ever uh, Sweden or Finland would uh, knock on the door uh, of NATO. Um, I am more concerned by people who are dreaming about uh, coming back to the business as usual they can be uh, in many countries uh, in major businesses uh, dreaming that the crisis would be over and the business could restart again here we have a probably a, a very important role to play as politicians to disclose to our businesses Uh, that this crisis will be long and that not only uh, private companies providing insurance uh, will refuse uh, to uh, secure the businesses as we see it today uh, on behalf of major operators, but also governments cannot guarantee to our firms and private companies that the business would be uh, accompanied by the governments. because. By the way, as Czech Republic, since one year, we are on the list of unfriendly countries uh, in Russia. So support, any support by the Czech government would be uh, a minus. This is not something that uh, you would uh, struggle to have uh, with you. So yes, there is a danger of uh, erosion of this uh, um, purpose, of this sense of uh, um, common mission. and I think that we have to inspire our businesses to uh, show the example, for instance, by helping us to build this uh, gas union or energy union in Europe. Uh, uh, just remember how many times the EU already dreamt about purchasing jointly uh, gas, and this is still not the reality. Why? Because each of one of the major operators was just trying to maximize the profits and bilateralizing the uh, complex relationship between eu and russia is one of the aims and one of the methods putin uh, um, uh, likes to uh, to use so we have to be extremely cautious
1: i think that's a perfect segue to 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 my question which is uh, about the forthcoming uh, czech presidency of the council which starts at the end of this month. It looks like uh, the Czech Republic will face I mean many challenges, both short term and and, and and sort of longer term when it comes to energy policy, strengthening the EU's resilience against you know Russian extortion when it comes to uh, natural gas and, 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 and oil. With regard to, to sanctions, you know, we've seen Hungary uh, Holding up the oil embargo for weeks and securing a carve out. Uh, I suppose my question is how do you, uh, first of all, how do you um, really sustain this sort of sense of urgency around these measures that need to be taken? Uh, People like us, I think, would like to see more urgency, if anything. I mean, I would like to see, you know, LNG terminals being built and and tankers being commissioned and and you know outreach being made to 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 other potential suppliers of energy if we are really going to to sort of cut ourselves successfully off of russian energy sources in a in a in a timely timely fashion and then there is also this this broader question looming on the horizon about ukraine's european future so to speak so uh, so obviously um, the new member states so to speak uh have traditionally been proponents of, of of the eu's further enlargements uh but this is uh seems to be facing a, a an ever stiffer resistance from the part of places like countries like, like 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 france and germany so i wonder you know how we can think about this problem in a way that still I mean that, that sort of enables this agenda to move forward, and and and, and that will, you know, whenever this war is over, uh, will will sort of provide Ukraine with a with a truly European future and in 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 the fold of Western Western alliances. So 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 what what, what does the conversation on on both of these subjects, these sort of shorter term problems, and these and and, and and the sort of bigger picture challenge of of Europe's uh, of Ukraine's European future uh, look like?
2: I like your question concerning urgency. I feel the same. I am maybe impatient or eager or desirous to see more, um, uh, longing to see results uh, much quick, much more quickly. And uh, to be frank, when I read back the strategic documents, be it of the Czech Republic or on behalf of the EU, As a whole, we see that LNG LNG terminals had to be constructed years ago. And if you just have a look on LNG terminal uh, deadlines of construction from scratch, you need maybe three years. So uh, we have to be patient and resolute and very focused on this. And this is, by the way, issue we will discuss tomorrow at the committee session which is um, uh, which is entitled uh, Energy Security. And we will speak about LNG, by the way, because we are not a, a maritime uh, country, but we will try to uh, and we have already some ideas how to invest in an LNG terminals in uh, other European countries. So uh, the model exists and we will very much uh, struggle to be as uh, efficient as possible and just be sure that in the Senate we will pay special attention to this. Because I think that energy was uh, uh, organized by silos, by different ministries. People from gas ignore people from oil. And electricity production is a part because we have this uh, huge nuclear uh, power um, uh, uh, equipment. So uh, this is something that uh, uh, we have to reunite in a one strategic outlook and try to uh, the government to to deliver. And as far as Ukraine uh, is concerned and its uh, European Union future, uh, how far it is realistic. I think that if we go back to the very uh, beginnings of uh, Eastern Partnership, by the way, launched during the uh, former Czech uh, presidency, the previous presidency in 2008, we see how uh, important it was because it provided a frame of cooperation for the countries who were in the vicinity of the uh, European Union. Uh, We see that some of them really delivered well and uh, uh, I think that Ukraine was one of them even before the conflict. So now, when they handed over the the official request to become members of the EU, we have to expedite it extremely quickly. According to my uh, information, it would be at the end of this week that the European Commission publish uh, the AVI, uh, the former uh, uh, approver or recommendation, and then it is up to the Council of the EU, the head of states and government, to uh, to manage and i am sure that the czech uh, republic uh, will not be alone in uh, calling for very very swift procedure by the way several parliaments already um, voted resolutions in this regard and the czech uh, parliament uh, the senate of the czech republic uh, had it already twice on the agenda so we will uh, we push hard and we will do our utmost
0: You just expressed very elegantly um, how the problem will stop um, or at least be temporized in the European Council. The Czech Republic has been one of the countries that has had been outwardly um, over the last three months supporting the EU candidacy of Ukraine, um, signing support letters, Um, but, um, but it will also bear a lot of responsibility in managing in the context of the EU presidency this very political and very difficult issue um, that shouldn't be as such, in, in my opinion at least. Um, I was recently reading an op-ed um, in, in Romanian by someone who was arguing that it is unacceptable that we have um, come to a point within the European Union in which certain countries, particularly Germany and France, have made out of EU enlargement a taboo. And they both um, have, through their leadership over the last three months, expressed um, creative ways of saying that they do not support candidacy being um, given to to Ukraine and for our listeners that does not mean membership Um, Turkey has been a candidate for decades um, and is far away from EU membership Um, and so it is more of a symbolical um, gesture and now we're packaging it even better with the urgency but as you're looking ahead um, to the next six months of, um, of the Czech Republic's EU presidency do you anticipate um, that the candidacy and the path of Ukraine will be on the agenda as a priority? And how do you how are you looking at um, those countries that already publicly manifested their will to um, veto such um, such progress on the U- European path of Ukraine? If
1: I can just interject. Uh, this might be a good. Opportunity to to tell our listeners that uh, Senator Fisher served as the Czech Republic's ambassador to France, and has you know deep seated connections to to French culture and and and, and French public and political life. Um, so this might be a really sort of you know teachable moment for all of us to to sort of you know learn about how to think through. Bit you of know, France's debates on 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 Ukraine and and Eastern Europe and, and and this conflict. I mean, France has been sending you know very mixed messages. On the one hand, uh, providing Ukraine with 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 lethal aid, uh, with artillery pieces. On the other hand, President Macron being on the phone with with President Putin on a on a on a, on, a, on a regular basis. I always want to offer people the sort of most charitable interpretation of. Of 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 what's going on, but I suppose from Prague the real challenge is how to engage with the French in a in a way that's sort of constructive and that that moves this agenda forward and that does not relegate Ukraine to a permanent second tier status.
2: Yes, uh, thank you for inspiring set of questions. I will try to be brief and don't hesitate to come back. I think that uh, if we just study very quickly what happened in France yesterday night, I mean it was the moment of first round of elections for the parliament, we see that for the assembly where uh, the president Macron elected needs to have a majority, he didn't succeed. His uh, political party had so many difficulties to, to shine uh, and to be the first that he will have some struggle uh, before uh, the next round to uh, show the force. And uh, yes, he has a backup solution of creating a a coalition. But still, uh, if we uh, have uh, time, we can study Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who is uh, uh, the challenger of uh, Macron and uh, representative of the left popular left uh, party or union today, when you study his political program and his political agenda, this is just not only sparkling, this is freezing, because you discover many many issues uh, concerning NATO membership, for instance, which are not only under question mark, but uh, which are completely... uh, uh, blatantly on the paper that he would like to withdraw, uh, for instance. So I think that France in uh, current political situation uh, is uh, for many reasons, not very vocal on enlargement. Uh, we saw that Macron already himself was not uh, the big uh, uh, the big fan of uh, future enlargements. And he created a, a mechanism of uh, new conditionality uh, at, the, at the very beginning of his first term, uh, first term as president. So we have to be prudent with France. I think that every country has a period of uh, political struggle and we are in a week uh, which is very sensitive and we have to wait until the next uh, uh, majority is formed. Now concerning uh, the cause phone calls between macron and putin i think that this is something uh, which might be seen uh, uh, from both sides first very very negative because they become kind of exclusive partners jumping over all the states in between including ukraine and treating about ukraine without ukraine and this is extremely dangerous and we checks in Prague are extremely sensitive to this, because we know that uh, uh, each time the superpowers treated about our future without us, it was something very dangerous. Uh, But if we switch now to the positive note, I think that it might be seen as um, an approach between nuclear powers or uh, members, uh, permanent members of the UN Security Council, and there you have a uh, Ratio uh, to maintain high level of uh, um, of contact, even though you do not agree with the partner. So I believe the second.
1: I think that's a message to 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 sort of leave with our with our with with our listeners. Um, you know whether one agrees or not with what's happening in 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 in, in France and Germany and in, and in, in some of these debates. I mean, these are countries that are central to the eu's functioning and are going to remain essential also to the functioning of of of, of western alliances and 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 i think sort of finding pathways to engage constructively and just push them in the right direction or otherwise working around them i think is 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 just necessary for for countries like the czech republic and and others Uh, senator we want to be mindful of your time we are really grateful for 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 you having join us today and i hope this is not your last appearance on the on the eastern front as as the czech republic is taking on the presidency of the council i'm sure there'll be uh, lots more subjects to discuss in the in the coming months thank you so much for being with us today
2: Thank you for inviting me on the Eastern Front and thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Senator. You took us from Zeman all the way through Prague in the region into the European Union and all the way to Paris. So, thank you so much for enlightening us. From me, Julia Joja, and my friend, Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front, a podcast dedicated to security challenges that have erupted along the line running from the Black Sea to the Baltic Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, ai.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag Eastern Front Pod. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.